Welcome to the Online for Authors podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmer. This episode is an Author Express. An Author Express is designed to give you a quick overview of the author, their book, their author journey, sharing their successes, challenges, and tips for other authors. Our guest has been on the fringe of show business for 40 plus years, working with the famous and not so famous. Since the 1980s, he has been producing live stage shows, concerts, and TV. In addition, he's started over 10 companies and as an entrepreneur has owned everything from a small construction company and portable DJ business to a chain of comedy clubs and an insurance agency. Oh, and also owned a submarine and a beach shack in Hawaii. Lots of stories and advice on all topics. We would look forward to sharing some of it with you. Welcome, Scott Edwards. Jennifer, how are things in Canada? Well, it's cold. How about you? <laughs> uh, it's actually cold here. We don't get the snow, but uh, uh, I'm in central California and we've had a pretty cold and wet winter. You know, for us, cold is it's been like the high of uh, the low 50s. Well, so uh, you're Fahrenheit, I'm Celsius. So, okay. I know what the conversion is for that. You're what, 10 degrees? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. It's, it's um, uh, cold for us. <laughs> Yeah, well, our, our Celsius is minus 27, minus 17, minus, yeah, minus, minus. Wow. You've been pretty successful with your financial planning and everything. Uh, what led you into podcasting? Wow. I don't know about successful. I don't think I was a great financial planner, to be oh. honest. <laughs> but that's okay. I gave it up in uh, 2010 because I was being a, a full-time parent instead, and that was my priority. So my lifestyle changed quite a bit. Hey, being a mom's an important job. It's the most important thing in the world. Uh, it is. I will tell you, there is something a little bit more fun. What's being, that? A being a grandparent. Okay. Well, I'm not there yet. <laughs> well, and hopefully not no time soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Let's hope. I will enjoy it. I am looking forward to it. Yeah. But podcasting came along because I was already doing everything but. So I was interviewing authors and, and basically online for authors is an, a service for authors and the podcasting is just an added platform. And it gave me the opportunity to meet more authors faster and it's a lead generator. So ultimately everybody I talk to, I offer services to. Oh, there you yeah. go. Smart so woman. Well, I mean, and with podcasting, I mean, it's natural. The first thing I was doing was recommending that authors get out there and, and be more visible and have more conversations and, and let their audience get to know them more. And podcasting is a fantastic platform for it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I just passed my uh, three-year anniversary with my main podcast, and I've had a chance to interview, I don't know, 80 or 90 people. And I've been a guest on probably 50 or 60 podcasts. So yeah. it's uh, really been fun and it's building some uh, awareness around the world. But, it, you know, it's a slow process. I'm just doing it for a good time. Here's what your podcast is and what it's uh, about. I have four, but my main podcast is Stand Up Comedy, Your Host and MC. Because that was the way I was introduced on stage for over 21 years. I owned a chain of comedy clubs. And I have uh, a big history in stand-up comedy going back to uh, August of 1980. And it is, you know, a really terrific way to reconnect with all the people I worked with back in the 80s and 90s. 
talking about stand-up comedy, sharing sets. I produced uh, three TV series, a couple concerts, uh, and thousands of stage shows. So I have a lot of content, and I'm able to share that now, and it's it's really been a joy. Yeah, so that's one of them. What are the other three? So my podcasts are normally 40 to 60 minutes because I do interviews, mm-hmm. and I thought it might be smart to have a short form. So I took my bonus shows. I do a bonus show twice a month, and I created a second podcast called Comedy Appetizers. And they're all three to five minutes of just stand-up comedy, comedy bits, stories. And they're all from entertainers, uh, famous and not so famous. I was recently approached by iHeartRadio about doing a one-hour show in Los Angeles. And that would uh, open up some opportunity for uh, monetization. But that is just a conversation at this point. Who knows? Yeah. Well, congratulations there. So there's two more to talk about. What are the other two? The other one is I really have a fondness for comedy magic. Mm. And I've had a chance to work with some of the best magicians in the world. So I did a little uh, selfish pleasure. Uh, It's called The Magic Hat. And it's a discussion about comedy magic. And I've had a chance to interview maybe 12 professional magicians and talk about how they got into magic and how comedy and magic work together as an entertainment form. It's been pretty interesting. And then the last one, I'm just the producer. Uh, It's called How to Talk to Humans. Oh, okay. And it stars Larry Wilson, who is a um, a lifelong entertainer. But in the last decade, he has started doing a lot of public speaking and training for corporations under the um, guise of the Wilson method. And... What he does is he shares the secrets of communication from Hollywood and how people in Hollywood, both actors and and, uh, writers and people behind the scene, learn the craft of proper and quality communication. And so how to talk to humans is Larry sharing that information uh, in a podcast. It's it's all free, of course. It's terrific stuff. People are really enjoying it. I just launched it, uh, oh, two and a half weeks ago, and it's already had several hundred uh, downloads. Oh, great. Are you using Podmatch for guests? I turned Larry Wilson onto it, and I think he's done something like six guest spots just in the last uh, two and a half weeks. So yeah. uh, it can be a, a real asset for people in our business. Alex does a great job supporting podcasting and Podmatch is a a great uh, software. Yeah, he's built a great community. He's got a great team there with, um, I think it's Alicia and Jesse are are part of the team there and quite a large community. And I mean, of course, Pod Pros is the community. Podmatch is one of the entities in it, and Pod Lottery is another one. But yeah, I'm just wondering if you, you're the one you're producing was aware of it. If not, then that's a great lead in too. I mean, any podcaster yeah. or guest should know about it. Right. I turned him on to it, and he's taking full advantage. Now, how long have you had your podcast? So, you know what? I think it's at least I'm going on three years for the first one. Um, but there's more content than I'd had it because what happens is as soon as I, for online for authors, as soon as I went onto the podcast platform, 
all the back interviews that I had loaded on YouTube, I stripped the audio out of and dumped them on the podcast. So it's, I think, 2019, it's out too. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. You know, you. a lot of people uh, fall into the pod fade program and, and st get have a lot of energy and then just kind of fade away. And um, it, to, you know, to stick it out more than a year or two uh, is uh, show some resilience. Congratulations. Well, thank you. And to you too. And I'm glad we're both in the same arena here. This is fantastic. So share with me your book. Well, I brought all three. I am a prolific self-publishing author and have had a lot of fun with it. The most recent book, uh, 20 Questions Answered About Being a Stand-Up Comic, I did later, actually just came out last year. It's on Amazon and it was to support my podcast and vice versa and share some of the knowledge I have as a 40 plus year producer of comedy shows. Right. 20 questions answered about being a stand-up comic, 10 questions that you uh, should know and 10 questions you need to know. And it covers really the basics. So it's a good starting book for somebody interested in show business or stand-up comedy. It's everything from how to use a microphone to, um, you know, uh, encouraging you to be confident and get on stage a lot. I even did a bonus chapter at the end, how to deal with stage fright. So there's a lot of basic information. It's not a very thick book, but uh, and it's, oh, I should say it is uh, uh, got some good illustrations and it is a great outline or tool uh, to teach somebody the basics of getting into stand-up comedy. I don't tell people how to be funny. That's a whole different world. There's lots of people that will teach you the mechanics of a joke or how to build a set. I talk about, uh, you know, where to go out and get on stage, uh, who to talk to, uh, how to use a microphone when you're on stage and you have the bright lights, where to look, how to uh, pay attention to other entertainers because you can learn from them. It uh, is really be a great gift if somebody was interested in, uh, stand-up comedy at all. Even if you didn't want to do it, it would teach you some of the basics and help you understand the art form. This one is is recent. It's on Amazon and is a pretty thin book. It's just the basics of how to be a stand-up comic. Well, there's open mic nights too, right? The last comedy event I was at uh, was a charity event and they had a headliner and then they had a, uh, a couple of other comedians that were a part of the entire event and then of course your MC and your MC can be quite funny as well <laughs> so it was very entertaining but what we found was that there were hecklers so more than desire audience participation <laughs> they were they were heckling at a fundraiser it was the content of the comedian and you know when he asked a question ultimately the audience answers so it was a way the comedian was actually approaching his set and delivering his content and it was like okay well if you don't want to answer don't ask a question Right, right. He was uh, trying to engage with the audience by interacting with them, but that can be dangerous. Like you never ask a question you don't know the answer to. So it, it can be dangerous uh, opening up an audience and making them feel comfortable with uh, responding back. Uh, I'd still produce fundraisers 
Um, I do about four a year, but I only deal with professionals. So you'll never see an open micer on my stage. When I say professional, that they can do five, 10, 20 minutes uh, clean material and always know how to manage an audience. But it, it is surprising for all the fundraisers I've done. I've rarely had a heckler. I, like you said, it probably depended on the entertainer. Yeah. And not to say that it wasn't entertaining, but a little too much audience engagement. <laughs> on that one. I, I still enjoyed myself immensely. <laughs> good, good, good. And as you mentioned being a master of ceremonies. That is mm. the uh, key job in any show because they really control the rhythm of the uh, show, the pace, the timing, and the control of the audience. So mm -hmm. I emceed my shows for over 21 years. I was on stage seven, eight times a week, every week, 52 weeks a year for 20 years. So when it comes to crowd control and audience interaction, I'm kind of a master. But mm -hmm. one of the keys to that is not letting the audience take charge. Yeah. You know, we're there to entertain. They're there to shut up and listen. <laughs> I'm right? kidding. But, you know, it, it's somewhere between a, a crazy concert and a play, right? right. So right. not as quiet and sedate as an as a audience that might go see a play like Hamilton. But you're not going to a rock and roll concert where everybody's, whoa. There's a, there's a fine art to it, for sure. I come from the 80s where there was kind of what I call the rock and roll wave of comedy. So when I opened my clubs in August of 1980, it was the 12th full-time comedy club in the entire USA. Wow. So hardly anybody. I was uh, Bob Saget, Gary Shandling, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, Jay Leno. They were all working for me, but they weren't famous yet, right? Oh, wow. Okay, so... Come about 1985-86, all of a sudden it exploded and all the old discos turned into comedy clubs. There was shows on TV, live at the, you know, evening at the improv, live at the comedy store. About 1985-86, everybody thought they could be a stand-up comic. If they had like five minutes of material, they thought they'd get a sitcom and become a millionaire, right? Because they saw... You know, that was happening to a couple people, but what they didn't know is those people had already been in the business for years, had honed their craft and knew what they were doing. So I wrote, be a stand-up comic or just look like one. <laughs> and this is a, a much more uh, in-depth book, smaller print. I did interview some comics in here. Pat Paulson's an example. Uh, George Wallace is an example. In this book, it's interesting because the first half of the book, really explains how difficult it is to be a, a real stand-up comic and work the road and travel and what it does to relationships and how difficult showbiz is. And the idea was the first half of the book was to convince people to get out of the business. <laughs> then the second half of the book is if you are serious and you got through the first half, the second half of the book had some really good detailed information on how to write a joke, how to put together a set, what's expected of you from a marketing and promotion point of view, really everything it took to be a professional entertainer. Now, these um, came out in the 80s. Uh, they sold like hotcakes when they first came out. 
there was no internet, there was no Amazon. It was all selling through my clubs and giving them away as gifts and, and selling them uh, to people that were looking to be comics. Um, I still have, oh, I don't know, maybe 40 copies left and I've given them out as gifts or I sell them for 20 bucks just so if somebody's really interested. It's uh, old because the you know that was over uh, 30 years ago, but the material, the information is actually still true. And I'm, I'm really proud of that book. In fact, what was really funny about this book, on the cover, that's me sitting in the audience. Oh, right and, on. <laughs> I did a Where's Waldo? <laughs> oh, fantastic. Oh, very creative. So two books on how to be a comic from so, a producer's point of view. That's the, that's the key. It's not some other comic. It's from I'm a producer. Well, and you're the ones that are, are employing and putting people on stages. So uh, what, that's great advice to be able to obtain. I mean, and it's not readily available really anywhere else. And you're not going to be able to get a sit down with a producer to say, hey, I'm a nobody, but I want to be a somebody. So now what? Jennifer, you get it, right? You know, there's there's plenty of YouTube courses on, you know, how to write a joke or how to maybe be funny, but there's no producers uh, that have put together this kind of information. And I think it's really valuable to anybody serious about getting into the business. It, it's out there. We'll just see if, if anybody picks up on that. <laughs> so you are still putting shows together now for charities? Yes, I, I don't. I sold my clubs. Uh, the club that I opened in August of 1980, Laughs Unlimited, is actually still operating and just celebrated over 40 years uh, being open. So when I opened, it was the 12th club in the country, and now it's one of the oldest clubs in the country and still very successful. I moved on to other adventures. Well, you know, that's a piece of legacy you're leaving behind. That leads me to my very uh, first book. I am a big fan of animation. Yeah, this is titled Cell Magic, The Art of Collecting Animation. And it's a really good book with uh, great photos. There's Mickey Mouse. Wow, uh, where did you get the rights to all the Disney characters? Oh, yeah. Um, here, here's Beanie and Cecil. Uh, for those that are over 50, I got a chance to be a part of the animation industry back in the late 70s, early 80s, and collected original animation art, 1 24th of a second. Back in the day, they were hand-drawn and hand-painted. There was an immense amount of work to make a short. And for Disney, for example, to make Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs took years and literally millions of animation cells. Um, I got really interested in the art form. My, I had my own art gallery that specialized in animation. And now I have a great collection in my house. I'm very blessed. But the book, Cell Magic, was a big success back when it came out in the 80s uh, because not only did we get a chance to interview Frizz Freeling and uh, Dave Smith from the Disney Archives, Oh, Jennifer, I got to tell you, I got a chance to get a private tour of the Disney Archive. I actually held a cell from Steamboat Willie, which was released in 1928. So uh, Mickey Mouse's first sound cartoon. So response. Yeah, it was so exciting. And there's there's a whole chapter in here, interview with Dave Smith and a lot of um, really great information 
But it, what's really nice, and, and it's great because I have all these great uh, pictures, but I actually owned a lot of the artwork uh, from back in the day. What was great about the book, so I got a chance to uh, interview Walter Lance. Oh, my goodness. And Walter Lance was the creator of Woody Woodpecker, uh, Chili Willy, and a lot of other characters that uh, my generation grew up with. And to be able to meet him, we got some autograph pieces, and get share his story in this book was just incredible. Now, this, again, was a self-published book, but it ended up being at uh, Universal Studios, we uh, got it out through the college system, so it's in, available in a lot of college libraries. Uh, it's a reference book now because it's, it is about uh, animation, how it's made, uh, how to tell a, a fake cell from a real cell, um, mm. all that kind of detail. And um, it is, it's never been on Amazon or anything. It's out of production, but it is uh, an amazing book I'm very proud of. It was originally released as a hard copy, um, what they call a coffee table book. Mm -hmm. um, I have soft copies and I'm down to, I have maybe three of them. There's um, uh, very few out there. So just a question. You have an ISBN number for it. Yes. Is it in the Library of Congress? Yes. This was something we did correctly. We got it um, into the Library of You know, we did the the work you had to do to get it distributed. The hard copies went out uh, all over to university and the Library of Congress and stuff like that. But for sale, the it was a limited print. And um, as I said, between, I think actually for a while it was in Barnes and Noble and it was, it, I found it, I was kind of, this was a, a proud moment I'm gonna share with you. I was uh, in Los Angeles on vacation, went to Universal Studios, and I went into the bookstore at Universal Studios, and there were my books. Aww. And that was kind of exciting. So I autographed a few and left them with the uh, the manager of the store, and uh, that, that was a real thrill for me. Oh, what an honor. Yeah, it was, it was very cool. But I've been very blessed. I, I've had a chance to... Uh, uh, dip into the world of animation. Uh, you know, it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, everything is done on computers yeah. and um, 3D is, is the, all the rage now. Um, but this is a throwback to the history of what created animation at 124th uh, shot per second, uh, a really unique uh, art form. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Lost art form, sadly. <laughs> And I remember the books that uh, used to come out that used to be the flip books with the tab, Woody Woodpecker in the corner. And so uh, you could flip through and you would actually get the short animation <laughs> of the characters part of the book. Boy, I had a few of those. Yeah, those were fun. Flip books were really a great way for people to understand that when you're looking at an image, it's, it's a still. But if you flip through and there's just a little bit of change, it brings it to life. Yeah, and it, the change is so minute, like from, you would have to go like five, 10 pages to actually see a difference, a good, considerable difference, you know? It, it's definitely an art form that um, was very meticulous back in the day. Uh, Walt Disney, of course, was a master. There were people doing animation before him, but he created the um, 3D 
camera and so that the camera can go through a shot. If you watch Pinocchio, uh, the camera comes in through the woods into the town and mm. he developed a, a three-dimensional system. What was interesting, a lot of people don't know, is that some of his earlier pieces, the animation was actually painted on glass, painstakingly drawn and painted on glass, and then they just wash it away and do another one. I mean, and the, that art is gone forever. It's it, that's so hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was an it was an industry that didn't really respect the art and the talent that brought it to life. Of course, Disney and all the other uh, producers and directors, their goal was the final film. You know, yeah. the 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 five. You know, the three minute Mickey Mouse short or Beanie and Cecil or. The, you know, uh, the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. It was the cartoon that we all saw in the theaters and now we can see on TV. Uh, they didn't care about the painstaking art, 24 picks per second to make something look alive uh, was just a means to an end. So people like me appreciated and fell in love with the art and luckily, we were able to collect and preserve some of the uh, pieces. I'm very lucky. I have, for example, uh, on my walls, uh, an original Tinkerbell oh. from, with, with her wings, which is really rare. And it's from when she comes out of the drawer and she's a little pissed <laughs> and she has that kind of pouty look. Yeah, yeah, I've got that full cell. It's a full image of Tinkerbell with her wings. Very rare and um, just a treasure for me to have. And that was done, you know, 50 years ago, maybe more. I mean, it's uh, incredible. Oh, my gosh. Well, I would thank you very much for sharing it with us today. How do we find out more information? People want to connect with you. Where would we go to find you the best? Scottscomedystuff.com. And I also just started a um, network site, uh, standupcomedypodcastnetwork.com. Not very fancy, but it takes you there. And on that site, I have 18 different podcasts all uh, created and operated by stand-up comics. There's videos from back in the day of Bob Saget, Jay Leno, and Ray Romano on stage. I also have audio bites from uh, all of my podcasts. There's pictures of me with uh, Dave Collier and Bob Saget. Uh, a lot of cool stuff. There's some blogs by comics. So if somebody's interested in stand-up comedy and they want to laugh, uh, visit standupcomedypodcastnetwork.com. I can, I'm easy to reach. I'm easy to find. I'm all over the uh, social media. And Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Oh, Jennifer, it's been such an honor. And you, and, you know, just to be invited into your beautiful home and share <laughs> this time with you. <laughs> thank you so much, Scott. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, like, follow, and share. And we always love reviews. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you, Visibility Pod, for all your services and management of our podcast. This episode is sponsored by Visibility Podcasts. Connect with Visibility Pod about visibility strategy coaching, podcast tours, podcast production, platform building, content creation, and distribution. Your online presence matters. Mention this author interview to receive a discount. Get the help you need today. Email visibilitypodcasts at gmail.com. 
That's V-I-S-I-B-I-L-I-T-Y-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at gmail.com.